a bolo on Sloth from the Goonies. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're telling me the killer is your imaginary friend? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Malignant. Malignant. Malignant Ficent. <laughs> what would the sequel to Malignant be? Like I was I was actually Benign. Uh, benign and uh I was on uh, I was working on a project where the where the phrase metastasize came up and I was like okay. that, would be, that would make a good sequel. Metastasize, <laughs> uh remission yeah remission uh, uh all cancer related things emergence uh, that's a word that's <laughs> not real uh wow i don't know i don't know shahir how are you before we get into this all right let's yeah okay how are you how have you been we we've had we've had a couple weeks where we've done some pre-records and we haven't chatted that much and now we're back we're back at it like nothing's happened like not for, for the humble listener it is as though we are still in the same place that we always have been uh meanwhile i try i have traveled a couple of times for work uh so i've been on airplanes and uh uh you know like navigating the covid flight anxiety so to speak which is mm-hmm. uh which is very challenging i think i'm i'm uh incredibly anxious on flights but i'm i'm starting to warm up to uh the idea of re-emerging society in some way sure uh, but but w- what's been good is that uh, i've been on some shoots and i have been my company and i have been coordinating these shoots and so what that means is we set the the covid protocols for us mm-hmm. and for our team and and i will just say it's ridiculous but like because it's us because my wife works in the space we're just very like you're not working for us unless you've got a va- unless you're vaccinated you have to get tested before you go you have to get tested when you come back you have to get tested on site yep. you know like um you know masks in vehicles masks in cars we bring and provide masks for everybody we you know like we're just like very Hey, if we're doing this, if it's us that's managing all this, we're gonna go all out. You know, You're like doing gonna, it and doing it and doing it well. Yeah, yeah. That's we're just and and maybe it feels stringent. Like sometimes I'm like, you know, like it, maybe we're being too rigid because you know some people have warmed up a little bit more than I have. But I'm, I'm like, nah, nah. It's it it, it it's my world. You're living in it. <laughs> yeah, and and to be perfectly honest, I don't care how much anyone's warmed up. It's all about sort of personal accountability. So yeah. like anything that you feel, then especially if you're in control of that situation. And if people want to work with you, then yeah, that's the thing. Go, yeah. go do it. The end. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're just we're just like nope. We're do- we're doing that. And uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so so yeah, being out in the world, spend some time on some uh, on some remote locations, which I can't really exactly specify, but you know, fairly remote. Oh come on, we're all under friend <laughs> DA here. How about yourself? Uh, I looked after your cat recently because you also traveled. I was away. I was away for a very lovely wedding, uh, outdoor thing. We, we we actually went right outside of Houston. Now, the the event that I went to and the wedding itself and all that was so well put together, both from an entertainment and loving sort of friends and family vibe, but also like from a precautions vibe. Like everything felt very right. But on the side. <laughs> Have you ever been to Houston, Texas? I have not, but I've had two friends that have traveled there recently, and they had stories to tell me about it. So this is, the story I'm about to tell you is a non-story. Right. Texas, Houston, so I've only been to Austin before, and I love Austin. I will go back to Austin at the drop of a hat. I That's like my number one vacation destination <laughs> in the United States in Austin, is Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, But Houston, man... Okay, it's like you're inside the Matrix. Okay. 
but there's no people anywhere. Like I stayed in the like the hotel or the sort of like uh, not really downtown like business district, I guess. And I don't know if it's because of COVID or, or, or whatever. But like you just looked out the window of the hotel and you just saw like skyscrapers and city and going on and like a car driving here or there. But literally, no matter what time of day, not a fucking person in the street. <laughs> and it is weird and unnerving. And I was looking for the woman in the red dress. Like it was, right. it felt odd and off-putting. And anytime I walked anywhere, you just didn't see people. And and in 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 pandemic times, that's a weird thing to say as well. That it feels weird to not see people. But this just felt like this should be like I've been outside in New York a bunch. <laughs> like people are walking down the street, going places. This is just just thousands of places to go and no one there. So the the story that people, the friends that I had that went to Houston uh, told me about was that it was just unbearably hot. And because of that, they stayed inside the whole time. It was fine. Okay. Like, it was hot, but, like, whatever, shorts. <laughs> like, um, anyway, it was, it, was, it was a lovely trip, but I can't, I can't stress enough how awkward it was in transit to places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, and I went to the Space Museum and got ice cream. Oh, nice. Astronaut ice cream. Astronaut ice cream. The uh, Do they do they still make that? What's that franchise that makes the little bowls? Oh, Dippin' Dots? Dippin yeah, they Dots. make Dippin' Dots, but that's not for astronauts. That would get everywhere, Shahir. Oh, right. Yeah, true. That would go into every system, like the yeah. ants in the, in the Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I'm I'm glad that you traveled and you got to see some friends and that you had a good time. And, and I went to space. And you went to space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Houston, we had a problem. We did. We, yeah. yeah, and the problem was there's no fucking people in the streets. <laughs> people on the streets. Um, um, so yes, if you're from Houston, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and tell us if, why there are no people on the streets. And if this is the best time to film an empty street, cause that has always been a real challenge for yeah, anyone well, making a movie. You, you could do it. And actually, please, if we have any Houston listeners, any at all, not other parts of town, I mean, please, you can write us out about other things or talk to us whenever you'd like onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. But a Houston listener, someone who lives in Houston, <laughs> I want to know where all the people are. Um, uh, that's a very Ariel ask, but I need to know. Perhaps um, they were inside this week, uh, actually probably for the last two weeks, watching HBO, uh, HBO Max, uh, for James Wan's movie Malignant. Perhaps that's what was happening, right? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, could. maybe, maybe they were writing us an e maybe they were all writing us emails. Perhaps they were, as, uh, Steve did, uh, to write us in about a previous episode we did, uh, ab about Josh Rubin's film Werewolves Within. Ooh, uh, oh. Steve writes, I just watched Werewolves Within last night, and now I'm listening to your review this morning as I work. I love, love, loved the film. It felt fresh and unique and fun, and there were a lot of welcome surprises that I didn't see coming. I really enjoyed it. I'm getting, sensing a theme here. He liked the movie. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that this was based on a video game, let alone the party game Werewolf, of which a friend of mine hosted one time, only to find out that it's literally the same as the other party game, Mafia. Mm -hmm. But instead of werewolves, it's a mafia members knocking off civilians overnight. I played mafia many times with friends that had no idea there was a version with werewolves. Anyway, what's interesting is this movie doesn't feel anything like the party game because it, uh, because it comes off as a simple werewolf whodunit story, which there have been many versions of before. However, this version was funny, smart, sweet, and surprising. If they wanted to make a real werewolf or mafia adaptation, they should have brought in the wacky characters like you mentioned, Matt. Like the gypsy or the cowboy... Uh, also, the narrative of the game is that everyone wants to go to sleep, and the next morning, everyone wakes up, and there's been a murder. Nothing like that happened in the movie, so specifically, so that I can remember, so I never made any connection to the game. 
Uh, I loved it. It ended and uh, there was no tease to make more. I'm getting so tired of cliffhanger endings to tease more stories. Uh, also wanted to mention that I felt the direction was nicely done. I thought that every shot had intention to it and not just simply coverage, which you see a lot of uh, lately. Thank you, Steve. I think this uh, uh, piggybacks yeah, off a comment that you made that you, uh, which I think, you know, was a, was a fair point, which is that this doesn't feel like a video game adaptation, despite the fact that it is a Ubisoft, um, it, it is. Uh, an Ubisoft production based off one of their games. Yeah. No, and to it, me, that was the feature, not the bug. Right. I mean, I, I, look, you could have both flavors. This was just a flavor that worked in that direction. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's a good, that's an apt way of putting it. A feature, not a bug or a bug. That's a feature. However you want to, <laughs> however you want to verbalize it. Um, um one yeah. last thing, uh, just a little piece of news that I thought was interesting. Uh, well, you know, a few pieces of news. First off, we lost uh, the great Norm MacDonald, mm-hmm. um, and we also lost uh, Melvin Van Peebles today, which uh, is very sad. Uh, mm-hmm. If anyone can, uh, please see Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song. It's a terrific film. Um, and um, But the other piece of news I also wanted to talk about just really quickly was the—I I found this particularly interesting— uh, was Christopher Nolan's move from Warner Brothers to Universal. And mm. the reason I found this so interesting was that we, I guess we've had a lot of conversations about what does Christopher Nolan mean to the industry and why he's important, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the story of how he made this move, now, uh, you know, for, for some insider news, uh, Christopher Nolan's pretty much been with Warner Brothers uh, his entire career uh, since after Memento. I think the first movie he did with them was Insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and so the entire Batman trilogy, Interstellar, Inception, Tenant, all those movies have been Warner Brother features. Uh, he was unhappy with the way Tenant was released and in terms of the um, the rollout and the marketing and what have you. Uh, so he decided to push his next feature to go uh, to invite. And this, I guess this is the interesting thing. Uh, I am but a neophyte filmmaker who still struggles to get anything made, as of course I am. Uh, Good you know, word, why would, bro. Neophyte. Why would, wow. Yeah, why would anyone... Uh, you know, Funny thing is, the first time I heard that word was Jim, James Cameron to uh, use the word neophyte, and that's when I picked it up for the first time. Uh, this anyway, all makes sense. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, I have had studio meetings that have been like... Very much, I am but a gnat in the in the mm-hmm. room, and and Christopher Nolan um, did this, which is that he held basically uh, 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 an open invitation to uh, every studio in Hollywood at his. I believe he's got a West Hollywood facility, uh, which is where he edits, writes, and has a you know a, a bunch of stuff going on. Invited everyone there to a roundtable presentation of what his next film was going to be, uh, which is a, a, a biopic about John Oppenheimer, uh, the man who invented the atomic bomb, I believe. Mm-hmm. I know Leonardo DiCaprio was interested in this story quite a, a few uh, many years ago, um, and and basically said, "Okay, that's my film. You can read the script here. These are my terms." And the terms were pretty standard for someone like him but they but they sound ridiculous when you say them out loud which is like final cut on the film the budget has to be this much it has to be a theatrical release you uh it has to be in a theater for 45 to 90 days you have a 17 day window on either side of it where you can't release other films or at least advertise other films that are within your slate uh so you basically universal or whichever studio you want um, you know, these are my terms. And if you want in, you, you know, the, you have to meet all these conditions and every, and here's the thing is that what I found amazing about that is that again, Christopher Nolan is such a figure that the studio heads, like the head of the studios, all of them went to that meeting. It wasn't yeah. like they sent the assistants or executive producers or anything like that. The, 
he he could bring in every studio head and Universal um, bid on it. I think a few studios were all bidding on it, and Universal eventually won, and he will be with Universal from now on. His milkshake literally <laughs> brought all the boys to the yard. That's uh, how much this dude come out. Like, I don't think... I don't know if a Ridley Scott can do well, that. Maybe he can, but... No, no, no. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about this. I actually don't think he can. I actually don't think anyone can. I except think, Christopher except Nolan. Except Christopher Nolan. Like, and here's the other sort of side of it, too. Like, Christopher Nolan's a great filmmaker. Yeah. Right? I, you know, just because I didn't connect with Tenet, just because I don't like certain things, just because I didn't like uh, trying to release certain things during certain time, like, whatever. Like, there's no denying Christopher Nolan is a phenomenal filmmaker who has grown and changed and whose career is something that I always like following. I don't know of any working director right now that could get that done as well. Like, I'm trying to think, like, maybe James Cameron, but not really. Like, I don't think James Cameron's in that. Well, maybe, but he's not well, it's in like, that here's the game. Thing. Like, what know? if he was in that game? Like, he would have to get back into the game and yeah. then do it. Like, that. there's sort of an extra step. I'm talking about, like, working filmmakers right now. Like, I just don't think that, they, like, because studios aren't really hunting for auteur director names right now. Like and, they're and, not, and 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 Nolan is interesting in that because he is a he is a he's a name, but a a really commercially successful, recognizable mm-hmm. name. Like Audiences who else is? Know. Yeah, who else would be in that? Like I would say James Cameron, kind of, but probably waning in these years. Michael, Michael Bay, Bay, Zack St- Snyder. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg still, but again, yes, I feel like this, that this even is the that's... thing. Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, Ridley Scott, these people have kind of already done that. James Cameron as well have already done this game. Yeah. And so they're, they're kind of just off doing their own things now. They've built their own facilities. And so Nolan is kind of, in, in his, I guess, age of filmmaker, there's no one like him, I don't think. I, 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 maybe it... Michael Bay would be the closest in terms of like, but he, the thing about Michael Bay is that I think it's widely regarded that his films aren't critically successful, whereas Nolan's are. So you get the Nolan's you get, are both. Nolan's yeah, are you get the money successes. and the prestige. Yeah, with yeah. Nolan, and that's you get a good it. Deal. You get the prestige. You get the prestige. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, it's very interesting. I'll be curious what film and Universal kind of needed a win, man. Like, yeah. uh, so maybe well, they got the, they got the, they got the Fast and the Furious, and now they got the Christopher Nolan. Maybe Christopher worry, Nolan. They- they will do the a Dark Fast Universe. and the Furious movie. Yeah, they'll do Christopher Nolan will do the Wolfman or some shit. Who the hell knows? Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, speaking of horror, horror. Speaking of horrific. <laughs> uh, fuck, man, what the fuck? This <laughs> goddamn movie. I'm just gonna roll into it. I and I also feel like this is one where we should just really briefly kind of give our first impressions, but also we gotta jump into spoilers right away. There's yeah, no, this is spoiler tastic. No... Here's my here's my here's my pitch to you, everyone. Fuck this movie. What? I hated this movie. Huh. I was angry from minute 10. And <laughs> I, I... We we talk a lot. We do talk <laughs> a lot. That podcast. is true. <laughs> and I want to say this up top because I will not be saying it again. The And we said it before. The fact that a film gets made is a miracle. Mm-hmm. A lot of people put their blood, sweat, and tears into it. And I want to say that any movie that gets across the finish line and is put onto any service or in a theater or anything like that is a triumph of its own right, in its own place, okay? Mm. Boom. <laughs> I hate this movie with the passion of a thousand fiery suns. Wow. I think there's there's only one or two glints of like possible redeeming elements, and the rest, I think, is a hot garbage fire. I've never been more comfortable poo-pooing on a movie 
in, like, at least in a very long time than this goddamn film. Wow. Okay. That's me. How All are right. you? It's interesting because I really put on a lot of I put on my thinking cap on this movie quite a lot uh, after I watched it. And I will say I didn't enjoy it. And I don't, I, you know, like fundamentally, I, I wasn't a fan. However, there was something admirable about it, which I wanted to investigate and think about a little bit more. Sure. Which came into play with a lot of discussions of this movie surrounding the use, uh, surrounding the word camp. And I... I, I, I pulled up Susan Sontag's article on uh, the definition of camp uh, from 1964 and started reading it. And it made me think a little bit about your response to uh, Tom Hooper's Cats in relation to this movie. And I thought, I, 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 I'm going to try and construct, an, not an argument, but a sort of a wrapper for this film. I, I would love it. Uh, I would I, love it. I am. I've never been more prepared to eviscerate a film than I am right now. Let's I, let's discuss. I, I I will say I think fundamentally, the movie doesn't work for me. But it, but I don't think for the reason that it doesn't work for you. I, I think haven't even told you yet why. No. Well, I I, I mean because I think on a on a surface level, it's it's an outwardly bad movie, right? Like I. I, I but think, I love outwardly bad movies, Shahir. I think I think it's acted poorly. It's uh, constructed poor, uh, like it, it's 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 told poorly. For me, fundamentally, the biggest problem of this movie that I felt was that within fifteen to twenty minutes of the movie, I was like, oh yeah, it's a malignant tumor on the back of her head that's grown up into becoming a person. But this is the <laughs> thing, and I don't want to I don't want to derail you. So first and foremost, my hatred is not that it is hyper simple to figure out. Yeah, that's not it. There's many films where you can feel rewarded for figuring it out, or yeah. you feel clever, or like no, something no. along those lines. So and and also second thing, I will not malign this movie for like horror tropes. Yeah, like horror inevitably characters are stupid. They say dumb things. They do silly nonsense stuff yeah. like that's not why i like horror movies i like movies that do things that this movie tries to do mm -hmm. but almost every aspect of this thing feels like like a shadow or an echo of of something else that's also bad but like I, like again, well, I, I I can get into it, but let's go into your your thing that you well, were talking about. Well, no, because about. I think that the 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 point that I wanted to make there had to do with conscious intent and what was the intent of this movie. Because if we look at the body of James Work's filmography, he is a filmmaker. James Wan. James Wan yeah. Uh, what did I say? Did I say? If you look at the work of James Works, oh, did I say James Works? <laughs> James Works, <laughs> yeah, he did. It's, it's late. Uh, James Wan's filmography. I think we see an extremely talented, extremely capable yes. filmmaker. Yes, who is fundamentally one who knows and understands how to work with an audience. He's an yes. And, and so you know, like I know you weren't a big fan of it, but I loved The Conjuring, and The Conjuring was one of my favorite movie-going experiences. And I love Saw. I haven't seen Insidious. I know that people are big fans of, of his Furious Seven. And I love of, Furious Seven. I love Aquaman. And Aquaman. I like Saw. Yeah. I think James Wan is a great director. I went into this movie with multiple people, two or three people whose opinions I respect, being like, "Oh man, it's great." Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. everything was lined up. All the dominoes set. 
And then someone just took away the second domino after they pushed over the first one. And I was like, what about these 900 other dominoes? And they're like, ah, fooled you. And like, Yeah. Well, to that point, I mean, I was very ready for this experience. I spent like I, 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 I finished all my work and I was like rushing to finish my work so that I could spend time watching this movie in a sort of theatrical way. I, yeah, I, same. I, I, I spent like 45 minutes resetting up my sound system because I wanted the sound to be on point. I did like. Yeah. I wanted it to be spooky. This yeah. was going to be Jamie and I's first like spooky movie of the season. Yeah, I was I, like super pumped about it. I was ready for this. And then it started and and literally the first few minutes I was like, "Oh boy. Oh no." Yeah. I was like, "Oh no. What is this?" And then my, my my brain was like recalling what people have been telling me about the movie, which is like it's bonkers and it goes crazy. And I was like, "Okay, maybe this is working on a level where there's a kind of theatricality to this, where it's eventually all going to make sense. So I'll, I'll stick with it. And there is, like, this movie is two hours long with a 25-minute sequence towards the back end of the movie, which is the, the talking point of the movie that everyone kind of talks about. Um, I, I found that that 25 minutes where the movie kind of goes bonkers to be so... So benign. out of... Yeah, so benign for one, and also so out of what I was interested in in this film that I I was like I, I it didn't it didn't work for me, but I started thinking about like just a couple of things. First off, the career trajectory of James Wan and Lee Wannell. Um, so you know the, the two people that are kind of fundamentally uh, responsible for the Saw franchise. Um, James Wan has obviously gone off and become an incredibly successful filmmaker. We're talking about, you know, like filmmakers like Christopher Nolan who could command a kind of meeting like that. I think maybe James Wan, you know, who's not as well recognized, could possibly do that because his films are so financially successful and he crosses so many different genres um, that, you know, like he could be one of those people without a doubt. But the, you and, know, the difference is, and this is not taking away any skills saying one director's better than the other, but the difference is and why I think the heads of studios showed up is because if you walk down these street any street oh in, yeah no in one's the gonna USA. yeah no one knows james wan's name or not not a no, no one no. But not it's... as many people know that name as christopher nolan but like on the, but in the industry side people on the inside of the industry will oh, know no, his name. no like a heartbeat but i think i at a certain level i believe this in all aspects of society it's all clout anyway it's yeah. clout all the way down and the reason those studio heads showed up for that meeting is literally because not just they know who he is but Sue or Joe on the street or whatever yeah, know who Christopher him. Nolan is too. I, like, I just I just mean that from the point of view of you look at the body of work of James Wan. Sure, there is an enormous array of critically and financially, financially. Su successful films there. You know, like Aquaman made a billion dollars, I think. Yeah. Um. So. Aquaman's so, a good movie. Like I, it's fun. <laughs> it's a superhero film. It's it's a solid, solid, <laughs> fun, good time. This is one of those movies where, again, I clocked out after half an hour because I was watching it at home, and I was like, I, "There's no need for me in this. I, I'm not needed in this world." Um, so and that's your, that's your vibe. That's yeah. totally fine. But like, at, at, at any rate, then so so that so and, and I mentioned Lee Wannell because Lee Wannell has gone off to do uh, Upgrade and the movie that we reviewed uh, last year, The Invisible Man, which is also playing in the same horror tropes as James Wan has done, but you know with different authorial intent, which is that I think Wannell kind of plays with the theatricality of horror with the particularly with the camera um in interesting ways but he grounds it with a sort of sense of real trauma uh real like a real sense of like horror You're saying is, in his other films right yeah no, in no, in in the invisible man and upgrade okay yeah th those are films which have like a sense of grounding that the, these mm -hmm. movies are connected to um real 
people and and a real sort of you know we're using horror to examine real life yes this film is so there's a sense the anchor for this film begins with domestic abuse and infertility two topics that are fairly sensitive that require a fairly sensitive hand in order to deal you know like even deal with them on a periphery and the movie treats them with the sort of same gleeful um pleasure as it does with decapitations and and violence and there's a sense to this movie that it is casualness the casualness of the violence towards women in this film is is beyond the pale of like the horror genre, in my but, opinion, which I agree with. But but see, that got me thinking again about not authorial intent, but intention in this movie, because everything about this movie, it you know, it harkens back to kind of um, like 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 the video nasties that you would see back in the day. Like um, uh, there's a movie that's come out called Censor, which is a horror movie about the video nasties. I don't know if you, you're familiar with the video no. nasties. Uh, the video nasties were like horror films from the 80s and 90s, uh, predominantly VHS tapes from the 80s. David Cronenberg's film Scanners was one of these or oh. uh, Driller Killer. Um, these were films that were deemed to be uh, movies that were so gratuitously violent that they were banned on, by, you know, by by local censors, particularly in the UK. Um, and the thing about the video nasties and um, uh, this kind of B grade cinema was that there's a relishing in being transgressive. So there's a relishing in in doing things that are purposefully. Uh, counterculture or transgressive, you know, like, so we, in Driller Killer, it really is about, like, seeing the most violent things we can see, you know, like, these the, these horror movies were really about being provocative for and, and gleefully being provocative. And there was a part of me that wondered if the way to read this film is in that mode, which is that it is, it's kind of like, I'm not sure if this is a good analogy as well, but like, uh, but M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, which I think is a bad movie, but I also think there's part of it, part of me wonders if there's a sort of self-knowing sense that this is meant to be a bad movie. I just, I just don't buy it. I, I like, I, I like, like, and, and, okay, so there's two possibilities. Right. One, that that, po- that position you've just posited is correct, and the other one that it isn't. Well, mm-hmm. that if it isn't, we can sort of brush that aside. If the intention was to make the film I saw to buck trends or try to get onto some sort of like early schlock trip in in the in the way of like g- counterculture or like whatever yeah it still doesn't work because the film craft is trash like like it doesn't do that thing the thing I wrote down that was my predominant thing about this movie is it has zero mood hmm. there's there's no there's no through line. There's no feeling. There's no because it doesn't lull you into a false sense of security to be scared. Like there's jump scares, sure, but like you don't give a shit. Like there, there's there's no like presiding sort of horror like element to it. It becomes like a weird sort of like schlock through like possible mental illness and then like a martial arts film. Like like there's there's no. It never feels grounded, even down to like set design. Like the house where they lived, where the woman lives, the main character. Yeah, yeah. I was like, who the fuck lives here? Yeah, like it's it's, it's a it's a stereotypical house from like 30 years prior to when this movie takes place. And I'm like, 
I don't believe this character lives here. Everything felt like a set. Nothing felt real. Like, down to every moment felt like it was just cliches all the way down. Like, when she got thrown, and we're going to get to there, when yeah. she gets thrown into the drunk tank or, like, the floozy tank, yeah. and I was like, who the fuck are these women and these characters <laughs> yeah, in yeah. this world? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, like, there's the never... And, like, to say that, like, oh, no, it's to make it ridiculous because that's what these movies are when you just sort of throw everything to the wall. Uh, uh, okay, but you're not doing anything to suture your viewer in who's who's who would enjoy anything but backwards stabbing. Like, yeah, so, yeah. I, I agree. So so I my position here is I'm 50. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm 50 percent giving the movie the benefit of the doubt in one respect which is that i think there is an audience for this film that gets what that either is on the wavelength where this film could work and and i think it's like to me personally i was not on board like i i i found it unscary uh badly written and horribly acted and har yeah pretty bad and, and horrible act acting can be great in b movies or like like man the Matt Marchetti, uh, uh, who's a great friend of the show and uh, who does Movie Minute uh, on Instagram, uh, is the king of schlock films. Every time I go hang out with him, we watch something atrocious made like in the 70s by some like weird Artur person yeah. who like decided to take their law firm money and turn them into an action store where they were 50. Like, dumb Herschel shit. Gordon Lewis is the, is the perfect example. The guy who invented... Um, uh, mass email or uh, uh, mass mailing uh, became a B horror movie producer. <laughs> right. So this is my this is my point. Yeah. Like those projects, while terrible, yeah. in the right spaces, are still enjoyable because you see. And I hate to sort of put it in this way, but like even if the love is misplaced, you see love. You mm -hmm. see like a desire to make something. And and and, and, and here I gotta be honest. I saw a desire to have a cool fight scene maybe two-thirds through the movie or near the end and have a hyper-violent monster uh, murder a bunch of cops. Like, that's literally the pinnacle and the only thing outside of a, hey, this premise might be neat in a B-movie that, like, felt not the B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld, like a, like a, like a, <laughs> a lower-grade film. Um, like, that's the only touch point I could find for any moment of love in this entire... Because no one... It's apparent no one gives a shit. No, see, I don't I don't agree with the no one gives a shit thing, which is that I think there is a conscious like I do believe there's a conscious effort to style this movie in a certain way. I don't think it's successful because it doesn't work for me personally, but I am also not a person who like spends hours trolling VHS boxes for like old unseen movies. Mm -hmm. I've seen like uh, th there, there's one of the video nasties that I love is a movie called um, "Fight for Your Right," uh, mm -hmm. which is a um, a pretty incredible treatise on race, uh, but it's also incredibly nasty and violent and um, not transgressive but outwardly offensive. Um, and I, I, I think that movie is like this amazing gem in the midst of like what you know what could have been just like an exploitation movie, and. This movie is done at such a such a large scale for what it is. Basically, he's taking the tools that he used for Aquaman, like he's been using some of the same technology for Aquaman, mm -hmm. and plunging it into this movie that is ultimately kind of this this really weird 
treaties on body horror in a sort of Cronenbergian way. And look, I'm 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 also agreeing with you that I do, it, for me the movie doesn't work. It but is a it, waste of resources. But <laughs> I also think. There is an, like, I can see this movie working at sort of midnight screenings kind of thing where it gains followers over time because, and this, and, and this is why the Susan Sontag thing was, um, was interesting to me because, uh, so Susan Sontag wrote this definition of the word camp or what camp art is, uh, in the 1960s. And, uh, camp has become, you know, a, a different, a working definition for a lot of things. And it's sort of like the, the, the Supreme Court justice on pornography, which is like, you know, I, I'll know it when I see it kind of definition. But mm-hmm. Sontag makes this pretty amazing um, article, and and um, uh, you know she she basically writes this working definition of all things camp, and it's very easy to read, by the way, because she lists everything. Uh, but she basically says camp is a certain mode of aestheticism. It is one way of seeing the world as an aesthetic phenomenon. That way, the uh, that way, the way of camp is not in terms of beauty, but in the degree of artifice or of stylization. And I think. The way this movie operates is kind of, and and, and she she goes on further, by the way, to say that there is two distinctions between naive camp, which is camp like like a film like The Room, where people have sort of come to love it because it represents a lot of things, it represents a lot of things, but it's naively done. And then there is intentional camp, which is, which she describes as often less satisfactory. And, and I think this sort of, I'm not 100% sure where this falls into, but but I think there's something to this particular artist working on this particular scale on this particular film, much in the same way that I think M. Night Shyamalan's film, The Happening, is a terrible movie, but it compels me because there's something oddly so so big about it, so sort of so bafflingly huge about it that, that makes me go, there's something to this. And I do agree, the film just... On its on its most basic thematic levels, doesn't work for me. Again, fifteen minutes fifteen minutes in, I was like, it's a malignant tumor that was from the back of her head, and and the rest of the movie is just playing catch up to those reveals. And I was like, I, yeah, I didn't care. I audibly <laughs> at around the eleven or twelve minute mark, audibly, and I do not do this. Just go, this film sucks. <laughs> like I audibly said it out loud. Right. And normally I don't do that. Right. Um. I I like the, the the first the first opening of the, it, it's so funny it's like Resident Evil Resident Evil is a campy kind of bad movie yeah, and like yeah, whatever yeah. but like there's something about the like the earnestness of what I feel like Resident Evil does where I'm like okay like no. it's not gonna blow my socks off but then like then there's this thing which feels like the beginning is trying to mimic even down to like the faux Marilyn Manson score mm-hmm. and like all the information like controls electricity speaks through stuff like in the credits I'm just like is it 2002 <laughs> like what the fuck is this and look the the definitions of camp are very helpful because it says it sort of uh, it, 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 it 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 what was the word? It wasn't mood. It was um, uh, aesthetic uh, aesthetic stylization. Aesthetic stylization. It, it, yeah. All this thing does is try to do aesthetic stylization of other things worse. It never lands on a, what what's this movie's aesthetic? 
I, I think it, I like th- what is it? I think it's VHS horror. I, I really do think that that is what the aesthetic of this but, film the, is. But part of VHS horror, like part of old school B movie garbage stuff you find in a bin horror, is that it doesn't look and play like this. That's, like it just does. That's part that, of the. That's part of it. But that's the self conscious part of this that I wonder about in terms of the way it operates. Like this, this film is basically there's a there's a film from the, the sort of video nasty period called um, Basket Case, which is really pretty much this film. Um, it, it's, it's a film about a, a, a person, a conjoined twin, um, where they're separated, but the but the twin, which is essentially a malignant mess, uh, goes around, starts going around and killing people because it's been left in a basket all day. It's yeah, the same story. Um, the, Without pushing it back into your skull. <laughs> and then, I, like, you know, I've read Stephen King's The Dark Half, uh, and so immediately I was just like, this is a riff on Stephen King's The Dark Half. You know, like, the, the, that's a film about uh, two twins that were in the womb that one gets absorbed by the other and the other one becomes a... A spirit that you know manifests itself. So I, I think the I I'm going to redefine. I'm going to redefine what camp is right now. Okay, okay. You're going to redefine, I'm gonna redefine it. You ready? Here we go. And she can write us in, Susan. Only move podcast at gmail.com. If you agree or not? Camp is all of those things that she has described. If you're on board, <laughs> if you're having a good time with it, yes. like that's that's the thing, and. And you're right, Shahir. I think there is an audience for this. Mm. I don't want to be friends with them. <laughs> like, like I, I, and that's that might be too harsh. I don't like. I never would ever, ever, ever want to go to like a midnight screening of this movie because it's come. And I don't. And I don't think this is going to make there. It's too. Again, no pun intended. Benign of a film to ever reach that place. It just is. That having been said, like nothing felt put together like yeah and again I, this is not me poo-pooing on any of the horror tropes that this thing tries to use like dumb cop accidentally finds clues dumb cop chases monster dumb cop falls into undercity where there's horse-drawn carriages i really was waiting for uh, yeah the chud characters to pop up yeah 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 <laughs> um the, the this movie just felt like like doing a cliche of a cliche. But it part just, of me goes, James Wan making this I don't movie. understand it. Well, and if I, he chose to do this, if yeah. this wasn't a mistake, he made a mistake. But like, I, I don't think it, I, my point there is I'm definitely not the audience of this movie. And, and I can see an audience for this movie much in the same way that I think you felt that there was a thing about cats that made it worth revisiting and talking about, right? Like now that cats might be more of an example of naive camp. Um, and I see cats and I see someone taking a swing at something they love and they miss tremendously. God, I, they miss the whole thing is a fucking miss except for skimble shanks. That <laughs> railway cat fucking slaps and his mustache is a national treasure. Other than that, that's what I love about that movie. The incredible swing, the utter miss, and the and and sort of watching that all unfold. This to me is someone walking up to the plate, to use a sports analogy I don't understand, and basically like holding out the bat and hoping the pitcher hits it, and then if it does, just sort of meandering to first base. I like, guess maybe the part is that I also think this is a big swing. Like how? I, I, I do it think does this is, nothing. I do think those last twenty-five minutes 
are reaching to what monster the, kung fu fight yeah and it's a it's it's not a swing i enjoy don't get me wrong it didn't work for me but i've I seen also so see, many fight scenes like that really you've seen fight scenes like that fight yeah. scene yeah ridiculous really? one Look, camera name, name blended one. Sh- blended shots it, well i i can't off the top of my head but it felt old to me i was like what fucking year is this I, like the, is the, 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 is the combat that, is no, the combat more impressive? No, no. The sure. thing that's impressive, the thing that's wild about it, is the way the film decides that this character is suddenly superhuman strong and will just, you know, like almost in a sort of uh, gothic noir way, uh, rip people's heads off and limbs, and that 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 amazing chair throw. I it doesn't work for me, but it's it sounded big. like it's, it's working for no, you. No, it doesn't. I I really didn't. I like it didn't land for me at all. But it's so big and it's so purposeful that I think that there is an intentionality to like, I want to take Case this- in point, Scott Pilgrim. Let's just go there. <laughs> okay, Scott okay. Pilgrim has fight scenes like this. It not, does. Not like that. Not like that fight scene. It ha- well, let me let me rephrase. It, it gave it gives the same feeling. Even if there's innovative camera techniques and it does this thing and he threw a chair real cool and he's walking backwards. The physicality, this is where I'll, I'll compliment it. The physicality of the actor doing all the movements is is very impressive trying to walk and fight backwards. That or however they did that, that looked off-putting and creepy. Hooray movie. The- but like, but the vibe, the frenetic sort of like over-the-top action and being in the moment that you're sort of setting up, like. There was nothing special about it. Like Deadpool the, does this shit. The, the first the fil- scene of Deadpool two does this shit just the same way. Like, but I think there's a way in which this is done, which is supposed to surprise you from from what the film. I was so up. bored. I, there was I, I, no look, surprising. Again, didn't work for me. the The film that I would actually reference is one that maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people would have seen this movie, but a film called Brotherhood of the Wolf uh, oh. by Christopher Ga- uh, Christoph Gans, which has uh, Monica, Monica Bellucci and it has um, uh, Mark Damascus, the Iron Chef guy. Is that his name? Damascus? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, someone will correct me on that. He was also in the last John Wick movie. Um, I think that's a movie that work operates in the same level of camp, which is that it's a classic sort of um, period drama werewolf movie. Which is sort of an interesting take on it, and I think I think there is a world in which this film plays in that in that place. What I don't know is the the you know like what's the degree of naivete versus intentionality here. I'm going to lean more on the fact that this is a filmmaker who again knows how to pull an audience's strings and has done so pretty miraculously. Like like I found that the last twenty five minutes did remind me of the last. 10 to 15 to 25 minutes of The Conjuring in terms of its its sense of scale and grandiosity. But The like, Conjuring went to that, even though The Conjuring's not one of my the, favorite movies, the but Conjuring I can look... The Conjuring works, though. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah The Conjuring works. The Conjuring, yeah. as a as a film, functions and does the things it's supposed to do and makes you feel the thing you're supposed to feel and does, like, the you know, the, yeah. the, the, the move at the end, etc. Right? We got that. This does a thing, I'll say maybe on scale to that, but the entirety... It's, it's like trying to put... <laughs> A car on a bridge made of pixie sticks. Like what? it doesn't support it. Like it doesn't. And therefore, it falls flat. There's no. There's no. Like I don't. Get, by that point, I'm so. By, God, I was done with this movie 20 minutes in, but yeah. I watched it and I paid attention and I tried and I was like, ooh, maybe it'll turn around, and it never did. Uh, it just like by the time like the scene we're talking about, the big fight scene with the cops in mm. the in uh, that starts in the jail and goes out to the to the police officers, feels like something I should like. Right. Feels like something in my wheelhouse. I got 
I was not impressed with it. I got no joy from it. I got no excitement from it or fear from it. And, and I go back to this movie itself in that scene and literally almost everyone has zero mood. There's <laughs> no mood to this movie. I can't tell you what they're going for. And we keep going back and forth and like, oh, is it intentional? Is it not intentional? I don't care. Like, it's not for me. And again, I again, I will, revi- I will rewind. If this is something you enjoy, please go forth and enjoy it because that's awesome. Film should be enjoyed. Not yuckin' a yum, but for me personally, I was I was livid. I wasted two hours. Like I, I I cannot remember the last time where I couldn't like sit down and be like, well, like this was good and this was good, even though I didn't like this. Like I I can't even give it the fair shake. I think that you're giving it because the emotional reaction it gave me was rage. Huh. I it 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 didn't like again. It didn't work for me because I felt I was always. 40 minutes ahead of the movie and and none of the surprise like i think the 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 fact that it's a malignant tumor where we wrap around the back of her and we see that this this thing has been hanging off the back of her head mm-hmm. um is supposed to be revelatory and that revelatory that that revelatory moment leads us into the the madness of the final like you know police station shooter it, it and it didn't work for me because i was ahead of the movie and it you know like but i would argue it doesn't work not because you're ahead of it cuz again we figure out stuff all not just us moviegoers we figure out stuff all the time and you feel good about it because it feels like Ah, yes. Yep. This is what's supposed to happen. But this has a weird sort of like almost like cart before the horse scenario to it in the sense like, yeah, you figured it out, but it wasn't a loving journey. You just like you looked at what the easiest point would be, not like you followed the clues. You're like, oh, yeah, if I turn my head to the left, there's the answer. Like there's and that's not rewarding. That's not fulfilling in an experience like this. And, And I don't have a problem. Like, look, monster movies are nutty. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of malignant thing and it crawls out of her skull and like whatever. Like I don't care that it heals. I don't care whatever because they set up rules of sort of supernaturalness. It affects electricity. And it can speak to speakers and it's kind of yeah, psychic. It's, it's, it's like none of that makes except, sense. You know, it's fun. Well, it, but here's the thing. It sets up rules and it follows them. Except, do you remember in the beginning, Shahir, when you're not sure if it's a ghost or, you know, whatever yeah, the, the fuck? the couch thing. The and, couch thing. Yeah, the couch and, thing. And, I was like, what the fuck is this? And here's the interesting. So like, <laughs> Because when you see the when you see Gabriel the manifestation the yeah. the malignancy uh, from Emily's perspective, you're like oh it's in her head or like whatever like that makes sense once everything's there. But when the husband is walking through and you see first you see the the character sort of sitting backwards on the couch and the lights go out and they're gone. Now I'm even going to give them the Batman esque ability of appearing <laughs> and disappearing like that's the wife that's whatever right yeah. But then you see. The couch cushion. Maybe the couch is just like reinflating after she'd like. Th- there's a version of this movie where you can imagine she's like sneaking no. out and like she gets caught. <laughs> because here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I saw that shot, that was the only time in this movie was like I. I was like, ooh, I like that. Like yeah. cool. Like ah, yes, that's a piece of a mood. Yeah. And and it, it's so funny that that one moment of like seeing the couch, like basically it looked like a ghost got up and the couch cushion sort of like reformed itself to the right shape. Yeah. Uh, also, like the French door opened. Opens in front of him, like miraculously. Sure, there are ghosty moments that <laughs> yeah. make zero sense. I also and- I, like there was one part of it because we realize a, a midway through the film that the person who has been kidnapped is being held in the attic of the of the house that they're in. She like breaks free and falls through the ceiling. But are you telling me that house has that giant like wall fan that's like an industrial fan? In the house, 
Again, <laughs> the house doesn't feel like anything but a set. Like, it's nowhere ever did I feel like we were ever in a real place. Right. Like, the police station gave me uh, the yeah. TV show Gotham vibes, but worse. Yeah. Like, it's big. It's, 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 it's wild. It's like, it's exaggerated. And I think it's not even exaggerated. It's just there. Like, it's, it's, there's no, I, I can't think of another word other than mood. Well, like, the, just just the. I mean, I guess the only thing to think about here is that, in order to make this film, James Wan is not this kind of filmmaker because he commands, you know, like movies that make a billion dollars. Yeah. And the kinds of movies that this harkens back to are not made by people who made a billion dollars. They're made by people who are struggling to, you know, they're Wes Craven in his early days. They're the John Carpenter in his early days. You the know, like, Conjuring, while it is a huge financial success, is not built to be one. Like, it just is. Like, because it, no, it, people and so enjoy point, it and it's good. My point being there is that the only way to do this kind of film that that harkens back to those sort of video nasties, the VHS tapes kind of thing, is to be an homage, right? Like, like I don't know. There's a the, I don't know if there's a conscious way to do a film that is this steeped in um, a style of movie that is so old and gone. This is not a filmmaker who lives in that world. You know what I mean? I mean, the, I, I again, I go back to. And, and this might be the trick. I don't know if that style of thing can be done anymore because a lot of the vibe of those films, a lot of the mood, if you will, comes from the fact that it was filmmakers using very limited resources to pull off weird, fucked up shit. And this is a movie that, while does not have a large, large budget, like, you see the resources. Yeah, it's $40 like, million dollars made by a person who made a billion-dollar movie. You see the resources. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, and I, I used the term love before, but maybe it's a combination of, of resources, intent, and love in a trifecta, mm -hmm. that that's how you get the vibe of a campy film. And therefore, this mid-tier, moodless slop is not hitting that mark, even if that's the case, because... Like, I guess how you do it, if I had to figure out, if I had to posit a way to do it, is you go back to basics, bitch. Like, you, <laughs> you, you, like, you, you don't have a more than, like, $500,000, and you do, like, a weird nonsense thing, and you pull it off, and you blow 80% of your budget on your monster. Like, that's how you do it, and if you're not doing it that way, you're not going to get the vibe of the films that do. Here, I guess maybe here's the point, which is that, if the the film doesn't work for you, so I don't think it's going to work for you on that sort of camp level, right? Like because uh, this is another one from uh, from Sontag's uh, taxonomy of what camp is, uh, which I which I quite like is a uh, camp taste is above all a mode of enjoyment of appreciation, not judgment. Camp is generous; it wants to enjoy. It only seems like malice and cynicism, or if it is cynicism, it is not a ruthless but a sweet cynicism. Um, Camp taste doesn't propose that it is in bad taste to be serious. It doesn't sneer at someone who succeeds in being seriously dramatic. What it does is find the success in certain passionate failures. Mm -hmm. And I think the working definition of camp doesn't just have to do with the work of art itself. It has to do with the, rea from, with the audience reaction to it. So why the room becomes camp is not necessarily because of the art itself, which by all intents and purposes is a naive failure about, that, is a, that is trying to be serious. Mm -hmm. But it becomes camp because the audience receives it and is generous towards a spirit of that film. And I do believe that there is a spirit 
to this film, which is, you know, if you look at reviews of this film, there is a gleefulness with which people are recommending this movie based on understand it. Of course you don't, because because you don't. The movie doesn't work for you. And that's and, and this doesn't make it a camp experience for you. But I'm saying I think that this particular filmmaker working in this particular mode with with an audience that receives it in the right way will find it. And I think like, again, Cats is a great example for me because I think that is a film that will that has found an audience that under that receives it with a generous spirit, despite the fact that I think it's fucking terrible. It is terrible. But but like I can say that that's terrible. And that's what you're like that with with Cats, right? Like you receive that film with a generous but spirit. I've, but I've also explained sort of why. Yeah. Like, like I really liked part of the definition. I will say this about this movie: there is zero passion in the failure. Like, it, I, it, it, I it almost feels think... like it almost feels like it's failure by design, which intrinsically would not allow passion. No, I don't think it's failure by design. I think there is passion in the wild swing of that last minute. Even the things that you're talking about, which is the 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 jail sequence with those women who are like dressed like like the from the, like the fil- nine different bad tropey <laughs> movies about women thrown into it, one jail. Cell. It feels like Switchblade Swisters, you know, like Zoe Bell is one of the uh, is one of the uh, the sisters in there, uh, and it you know like which is a direct connection to uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse. Um, you know, I think I think there is something to this and i'm i i i i'm only affording it this sort of generous this sort of generous expression of like there's a potentiality for this year because i think this particular filmmaker has been so good at working with the one in the same way that i think the happening is a movie that i would love that i love revisiting and i love talking about even though i know i willingly know it's a bad experience and i know it's a bad movie here we go here we go. The okay, village right. threw me. The village <laughs> threw me off the M night train. And then the happening made sure I never bought a ticket again. Here's where I'm at with this film. I really like the work of James Wan. Yeah. I I I like him as a filmmaker. I want to keep seeing him do things, etc. This is my village for James Wan. This is my you know what? This isn't for me. I don't understand why the hell this was made. You know, whatever. If other people dig it, that's awesome. I'm not off the train. Of course not, because there's an Aquaman coming out, and you're gonna watch it. But like, but like, well, that doesn't even beyond franchises. Like, I'd be psyched to see if if James Wan came his next film that is not an Aquaman, you know, whatever, like came out. I'd be like, ah, oh, yes, let's go. Like, let's watch this. You are a good director. Um, so that is where my generosity lies with this film. I I will ignore it from his filmography, and I will continue to try to enjoy his work. Um, I got seriously, folks, write us in. <laughs> Only movie podcast at gmail.com. Tell me what you liked about this movie. Tell me what you legitimately connected with and put you on a ride of it and made you believe in anything this movie was saying, even for a fleeting moment. I want to know because I can't see it. Right. I, 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 the movie, and, and I don't think this is me, honestly, from my own perspective, being too harsh. The movie would not physically let me. Like it, hmm. it at every turn, at every moment I tried to give it benefit of the doubt or whatever, it like slapped a drink out of my hand or something. Like every moment felt like it was just like, Haha, you have to still watch this. And I'm like, fuck, I do. Like, I, I, I for me, I think there would be an interest. Like, I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is if this movie was marketed differently to not, it, it's marketed in the way 
of the, saying the conjuring is Mark. the conjure yeah the conjuring or insidious it's meant to it's meant to evoke the sort of mystery of what is the monster and i don't think that that is what the marketing should do here i think the marketing of this movie is this is a batshit weird vision from the guy who made the conjuring but here's the thing the the, the truth is the idea is batshit but the vision is not the it's, vision is pure just shit we've seen before like there's no that that's the thing that's the problem with marketing you're right it's marketed wrong because again i go back to it has no mood any marketing is a mood and you're going to put something on it that it doesn't do and well, and then the second thing is, I think if for you and probably for me, if there was like a sort of referential acknowledgement of how crazy this was, like if there was a wink or a nudge or a sort of like... Yes, it would loose, go a long way. Uh, lo- loose understanding. Like there's one character, the 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 sidekick cop or the second detective, uh, who uh, I don't have the actress's name. Oh, uh uh, Michelle Brianna White, who plays the second detective, who's the one who kind of says the line that I liked at the beginning, which was like, so you're telling me the killer is your imaginary friend. I was like, mm-hmm. that, that, like when she came in, uh, I kind of felt, uh, an anchor to like the madness that I was witnessing. Um, there is a fundamental way this film also doesn't operate very well, which is like things like the, 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 um, the asylum that uh, they find, you know, the, the abandoned asylum, which is like, oh, you would expect that there would be like some kind of set piece or something here. And it's like, it's just, she literally just goes and picks up some VHS tapes and comes back. My favorite thing <laughs> of that moment is uh, you knew the VFX team just didn't give a shit. Like, they're like, ah, fuck it, let's go nuts. Mm-hmm. And not give a shit as in the not, the, not mm-hmm. can't appreciate their craft, but just like didn't care about like structure when yeah. when the sister pulls the car up and gets out and walks in like yeah. it's right at the edge of, of a, a cliff, cliff. yeah you and know. you're like she's not walking like she's remotely near that and yeah. i'm like why <laughs> would you park well it's just like and that's the thing i think there's just like you know th- i guess that's the maybe that's where i'm coming from this is there was certainly choices made there's no ineptitude here. But you can make bad choices. Isn't bad choices ineptitude? No, like, I don't, I don't, what it I don't is? think there's ineptitude. I think there were like hard choices made. There's also no such thing as not making choices when you make a film. So like just saying that that's a plus that they've made choices like, doesn't really give it a lot. What I mean by that is like there are some wild, like like just the, 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 the dressing not, of those characters in that scene. I was like, that is a wild choice. It is but not it's certainly wild. a choice. It's just... But that's the thing. It's like the ch- if it was a choice, it was a choice to mediocrity. Like it was a choice to make it just not matter. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't know because they could have. I mean, James Wan and his team could have really designed that to be, you know, like a genuine, you know, like um, threatening place. But you've got a woman in like 1970s pimp wear. Or prostitute wear, like, and you've got other, you know, like, you've got rednecks in there, and it's like... This movie hates women. (laughs) This movie (laughs) hates women. The way, I could not believe, Mm. of course, the domestic violence at the beginning and, like, all that jazz and whatever, I can't believe I just said all that jazz to that statement, (laughs) is the the last three lines from the sister in the quintessential moment (laughs) of, like all of a sudden just going to throw out like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm guessing that this thing is the reason why you can't be oh pregnant and it killed your unborn children and it fed off their corpse. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? Yeah, that is the a... Fu- like, and I get the character 
is trying to like anger the other character to like have them fight back. Like I get it. <laughs> I understand movie what you're doing, but it's done so sloppily that you can't get on board with it. That's the thing. Every line in this movie is such a snore fest or it's just sloppy nonsense that it can't give any weight to anything it's doing. And therefore there's no scaffolding for anything else of this film to be, to be bolted upon. I, I, I look, and I don't want to mistake this as well. I do think Shahir loves a, this movie. I Shahir do think this is a bad movie, and loves I do this think, movie. and I do think, like fundamentally, this movie, like n- there are things in this movie that are just laughable. You Will know, like go on your top ten list of the year. Uh, this it it it's an experience. <laughs> it is a that, ride. So number three, uh, yeah, like definitely number, number three, number yeah. two, uh, definitely. Uh, it's the Mitchells versus the Machines in this right now. Okay, cool, cool, uh, cool. <laughs> two M movies. Yeah. Um, the I think. There's a world that I see where this film, like in a midnight screening with an audience, could really slap. Here's what I'm going to say. I don't want to live in that world. (laughs) But it is a world, and it is a choice. I just won't be there. That's yeah, fine. you won't be, that's you won't cool. be there. You won't that's be cool. There. I'm it's probably cool. not invited after this podcast. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I want everyone who likes this movie to go like this movie. Yeah, and I want everyone who has not seen it yet to know what I know and what we're saying now before you go in. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, my just belligerent hatred for this film. <laughs> Will make you watch it and be like, huh, I don't know why Matt thought that. This isn't that bad. Like, I, maybe, maybe we can use my anger and my sadness to turn frowns upside down. Maybe my read of it will help people like it more. Or they'll just write us a lot of angry emails, which I'm fine with as well. Write I'm fine with that too. Movie. Bring them all to me. Listen, it's been a while since I've actually actively hated a film. <laughs> um, and so this doesn't feel good, but it's it it feels different. And yeah, and, and I, I not the film, my feelings. The film does not feel different at all. The film is milk toast. <laughs> the, the, like, I, I, I can't. I can't with this movie. I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry if this is like your favorite horror movie. I don't want to malign you. I want to hear why you love it. And I'm not going to, when we read the things, I'm not going to try to dissuade why you like it. Um, I, 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 I need to know why people like this movie. Oh, what's that Mark Anthony song? I need to know. I need to, that's a that's a throwback. I'm I'm old. Wow. Um but uh yeah, I I I I don't like this movie. I don't I don't think it's very good. I I think but I think there is a conscious style here at play. There's a conscious style that it's not good. There's certainly some choices made. That's what I'll that's what I'll leave it at. There's Again. certainly some choices and there's Again. certainly a swing. Anyway, this has been the choice for you to listen to the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Malignant. Malignant. Uh, hey Did that everyone. conversation metastasize in any way? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think it's time to cut it out. I think that's where we're at right now. Shahir, when you, you are not <laughs> trying to defend the act of choice, where can folks find you? You can see me uh, picking an adventure either left or right at my website www.shahirdad.com that's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D Matt when you are throwing a chair at your screen where can people find you? You can find me walking the empty halls of Houston debating what I did for the last two hours after watching this film over at my website M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works also Skeletor the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter also please check out the good works we are doing over on Extra Credits I believe by the time this drops we'll be doing our quintessential extra mythology on the rakshasa and ravana uh which is a real good story and then uh, we're wrapping up also our rasputin episode which probably one of the my favorite thumbnails ever it it has to do with his assassination (laughs) and how inept 
these bureaucrats were when they were trying to kill the mad monk. It's it would be hilarious if it wasn't sad. Um, these were not professional killers, Shahir. These were idiots <laughs> try, botching over and over and over a murder. Okay. Um, it's amazing. Anyway, please check those things out. Um, next week, we'll talk at you about a movie that I bet you I like more. Okay. I, I could see you liking that more. There is a new Nicolas Cage movie that comes out next week uh, with Sian oh, yeah. Soto. There's like uh, a thing with like a samurai. Is he always yeah, a samurai pr- sword? Pri- no, Prisons of the Ghost Land. Uh, there's a few things uh, coming out. Uh, if you have ideas about what we should be reviewing next week, mm-hmm. uh, please, please write us in. And uh, yeah, we'll, they'll, there will be an episode. You can guarantee There will be an episode, and I'll be happier. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say this. I, I, let, I let angry Matt out of the box, uh, out of the back of my head. Uh, and he's gonna. We're gonna push him back in. We're gonna push him back in. Right into the back of your skull. In the back of my skull. And he's gonna live there and only <laughs> talk through my personal speakers and not yours. I think you, that's the goal. Have you done the thumbnail for this episode? Because I did. I yeah, did. No. I. I it, it, no. It's not that. It's different. <laughs> yeah. uh, sadly. But yeah. anyway. Right. Hey okay. everyone. Talk at you later. Bye. Bye. You're the best. Bye.